Jeff Cole, it is so wonderful to have you on Hemp Barons today. Uh, thank you, Joy. It's so good to be here. Really appreciate it. Such an honor and a pleasure. You do so many tremendous things for the hemp movement, involved in, in so many different aspects of it, uh, as an advocate, as a consultant, a pro bono consultant in so many ways, and of course, also as the founder of U.S. Hemp Brokerage. You've got some really exciting things happening with U.S. Hemp Brokerage that I'm, I'm really excited to talk to the listeners about. But first, let's tell us, what does the U.S. Hemp Brokerage do? Well, thank you. That's a very generous introduction. I appreciate it. Um, I, I do, you know, really have a, a huge heart for hemp and for people in the hemp industry. The U.S. Hemp Brokerage is set up literally to sell hemp. That's our objective. But we don't just sell it willy-nilly. We don't schlep it. You know, we essentially understand the markets, the different areas within the hemp marketplace, whether it be through retail sales or raw ingredient sales or private label or any other kind of channel marketing, we at our core are channel marketers. And that's kind of how you do sales these days is through various channels. So we bring product to market for brands through all kinds of different channels. That's what we do. And, you know, just for some of our listeners who may be on the 101 newer entrepreneurs, give us some example of different channels. When we say a multi-channel, give us some examples of those different channels. And then we'll go right back to uh, what, what particular brands and other offerings. Okay, for sure. So sometimes you'll hear people talk about them in terms of verticals. So, you know, for instance, we would take a brand. Let's say, for instance, one of our brands is Willie's Remedy. So that's the Willie Nelson brand of of hemp products. So we have teas and, and uh, coffees and tinctures and topicals and stuff like that. So we could sell those into, you know, natural grocery stores. We could also sell those same products into larger retailers like, you know, a Kroger or, you know, a Publix or an Albertsons. And also we can sell them at trade shows or we could sell them online. So you have all of these different channels. The objective here is to, is to get, presence and dominance in all kinds of different channels that make sense. There are all other areas where, you know, for instance, if you have a product that is a sports based product, well, maybe you'll tap into different sports associations and those are verticals as well. So if there's an affinity group, then you can align your brand with a certain affinity group and market those, those products through them as well. So it's multi, multi-channel. It's really uh, uh, hitting, tapping all of the veins when you're working with U.S. Hemp Brokerage. <laughs> you have to these days, for sure. You definitely do. Essentially. Yep. And that's exactly what I mean. Multi-channel is the way, right? You've got to hit every vein uh, to be to be known uh, and to stay relevant, right? Also, Absolutely. of course, yep. you need to have a good good product at a fair price and some good customer service. So that's another aspect, of course, of, of commerce uh, that U.S. Hemp Brokerage is uh, delivering on for the consumer because of these curated uh, brands as well. Um, and, and talk to us about some of those brands that you are already representing. And I know there are four divisions, so uh, and feel free to discuss with us those different four divisions within the company. Sure. Okay. That sounds good. Well, so I'll start with the four divisions uh, because it's going to be brief. So we have four divisions. One of them, uh, the first one is the cannabinoid division. The second division uh, is the materials division. 
Then we have machinery and technology. So the reason this is brief is because 99% of our effort is focused on the cannabinoid division. So if you look at all of the different products, that, that's where the market is, right? It's where the market is. It's, you look at all the different products that, you know, that you can make out of hemp. The question becomes, what do we do now? What do we do next? What do we do after that? So in order of priority, clearly, you know, the market is in the cannabinoid space. Um, so what we do is we focus on the cannabinoid space and we have these amazing brands. Again, I've mentioned Willie's. We also have brands like, you know, Wana Wellness. So Wana Wellness is a cannabis brand. The Wana Brands is the cannabis brand. And they've, you know, sort of bridged into hemp. And they've got this amazing vegan version of what they do on the THC side. And it's super functional. So what we do is we'll sometimes pair brands together and do marketing initiatives. So I'll give you a great example with like Willie's Remedy and one of our amazing brands called First Crop. First Crop is dedicated to regenerative agriculture at its finest. This, in my opinion, is the best brand that has come out in the last two years. They are stellar. So we paired Willie's Remedy with First Crop at Lucky's Markets. And we did these amazing hemp stock displays. And we essentially went for shelf space. You know, when you're going to market, you're looking for shelf space. You sometimes have opportunities to go into like a, a, a freestanding kiosk that would just have your product in it. It's like a free, it's not on shelf, but it's, you know, like a little kiosk right there in the, in the center of an aisle. That's not shelf. You have placement in the store, but it's not shelf. The name of the game is to get on shelf. So we brought First Crop and Willie's yes. together and we were granted five different end caps within the two Lucky's markets, one in Boulder and one up in Fort Collins. Wow. So we had top shelf, wow. second shelf, and then we had these really cool, literally we used hemp stalks to hold up the sign and it was just so elegant and cool looking and we got great business, great recognition out of it and more important than anything, we got about 10 feet of shelf space, which is pretty difficult to do in today's market. So that's kind of how we, we look at that channel and you, you ask yourself, how do we sell through at this channel? Well, you know, you start to put yourself in the buyer's shoes and then you really start to understand, here's how we position the brands. And then we put product on promo and then we do demos, things like that. And we provide retailer support. So that's what the U.S. Hemp Brokerage does that's very different than what people typically think of when they think of a broker in the hemp space. Usually they think of, unfortunately, you know, that term, it's, it's joker broker, right? You get a lot of that because there, there are just a lot of people who have, you know, whether it be flour or biomass or isolate or D8 or something. Isolate. <laughs> I know, I know. And they're just kind of selling it a little bit willy-nilly, you know, just to kind of anybody. We take a very structured approach and we specifically work with, with finished brands and then we bring them to market and we provide retail marketing and retailer support for the brand. So it's a very professional service that we provide rather than just having some product that you kind of throw around as much as you can and maybe you get some sales. It's a structured brokerage service is what it is. 
a structured brokerage service. And, and that's part yeah. of why I wanted so much for us to be able to unpack that for the listeners to really understand what is unique about the U.S. hemp brokerage. It's really there are, I think, value added services here. Uh, and of course, sure. all kinds of guidance and, and consulting that you're probably because you do this like the back of your hand um, and have so much different experience bringing brands to market and so much real world experience in the cannabinoid space. Everything from yeah. extraction and production and labeling on down that there's a tremendous amount of benefit uh, that your clients or the brands that you service, as it were, um, can gain from working with you because of the of the incredible experience that you have. You you, uh, you cut your teeth uh, <laughs> years ago when the, the market really began to be created, the emerging hemp extract and cannabinoid market. It's true. You know, we didn't know back then. And, 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 and Joy, you know, this is around the time that you and I met. I mean, we're going back six, seven years ago. And, and you and your experience, you know, in the, in the market far predate me. But just through mutual friends, when we met, like we go back that far. And how much has the market changed since then? Like I saw you then as an early pioneer because of all your experience that you already had. And now people see me as an early pioneer because I've been at the early stage of this you know, of it as well and have just done so many brands. You know, I'm on my 75th brand right now. And it's incredible wow. that yeah, almost every one of the brands is, is still around and still kicking and, you know, in some some way or another. COVID had a, a big, you know, part in how all of those brands changed and what they look like now is very different than they did, you know, even a year ago. But it's, you know, you, here's what we hear a lot from our from our brands it's tough to get traction right now. Like retail sales are so far off. Like we just did not get good traction last year, but the brands didn't can mm -hmm. us because we didn't perform. In fact, what we did is we helped them save huge amounts of money. So they see the value that we add, not just in the top line revenue that we produce, but in the amount of money we can save them by guiding them through the market. So they don't make costly mistakes. And that's, you know, that it, it is truly a value add. And when we say costly, that's a... It's real costly. A truly a value add. It is, yeah. I was going to say costly can be anything from a label reprint to a 50,000 label reprint to yeah. a $50,000 or more just really bad mistake. And and so that's that responsible stewardship. Or an FDA letter, for instance. Or an FDA, absolutely, absolutely. Right, exactly. I mean, yeah. You, know, you, you get an FDA letter, it, it, it doesn't mean that it's the end of the world for you by any means, but that is definitely in the public domain. And as, as partners begin to, to check into you further and further and they see that you have an FDA notice, you have to explain it and then you have to explain how you cured it. And then you're going to be, it'll all be verified, of course. So it's, you know, it, it's, a, it's, it's exactly like farming of anything, but especially in the hemp market where you can, you can lose so much money if you do it wrong. If you just have one major mistake, you could lose all of it. It's all about controlling variables. So, you know, in hemp farming and, and other farming, it, it's really about controlling the variables. So, you know, when you get it down up to a bit of a science, then, you know, people aren't flying blind and they have confidence in you. And then, you know, when you work on a program together and you launch it and it works and it gets traction, then that's the reinforcement that's necessary for them to refer other people to you. And that's really how we built our business. 
I didn't really actually go out, Joy, and look for any of the clients that we have right now. Zero. I, I didn't go out looking for clients. I literally was so blessed and fortunate to have every one of our clients referred into us. And, you know, I think one or two of them found us without us being referred. But if you look at the, the brands that we have, you know, it, it's a it, it's a huge honor to work with these brands. And we take it really seriously. And we do our, you know, we really do make our very best effort to to curate the brand and to make sure that they're, you know, not just uh, that, not just that we're, we're trying to work with them well, but that they're presented and represented well out, you know, in public, you know, at the same time. That's really our charge, quite frankly. That's the key. That that right there yeah. is, is the key and, and the goal. And, you know, another thing, of course, about those FDA warning letters for folks who are looking for or hoping for sophisticated investors um, or to just make a, a beautiful little package and then sell it at some point. Right. Those sophisticated investors, I mean, with all of the choices that are out there, they see an FDA warning letter and that's all they, they need to know, no matter how it was cured, you know, uh, right. it's true. oftentimes. Um, yeah. There are certainly some massive exceptions to that, but in general, uh, you've you've really got to responsibly steward it. And and so many, as you know, folks and 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 uh, are not actual processors or manufacturers; they are brand owners, and just really just trying to get something out there onto the shelf. Um, and if they are looking for longevity here, uh, the only way to do that is to do it correctly. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the type of, of guidance mm-hmm, that they'll yeah. be that they're getting from you. Now, you'll be moving into, obviously, things are uh, as the infrastructure increases here, uh, as markets develop here in the United States, we get into the materials, the technology and the equipment. Those other those are the yeah. other three of the divisions that you'll be nurturing on any insights there, any, any news you might be able to share or hints of things on the horizon there, things you're working on. Yeah, for sure. You know, we, we were really fortunate. Um, one of our, our internal partners had uh, referred us over to the hemp plastics company last year. And, you know, so we do have a contract with the hemp plastics companies. We haven't really gotten any traction whatsoever with them. We just are, are sort of forced to, spend all of our time in cannabinoids because the brands are very demanding and they deserve all of the attention. Um, with the hemp plastics company, what we did there is we, we tried to understand the market and be in position to help support that company because they've invested so much time, energy, and money uh, and others in that same, in that same thing, you know, in that same category. But um, we just try to be supportive of the materials producers. So this can be, um, you know, material that could be animal bedding or, you know, just decorticated herd or, you know, we even can get into companies like uh, Pure Hemp Technology, where I'm I'm a partner at Pure Hemp Technology. As you know, it was actually the first company that I joined when I entered the hemp space, working with Ed Lehrberger and his brother, Carl, and, and all of we've got about 80 different members in that company. And U.S. Hemp Brokerage represents a brand that I started there with those guys called Pure Kind Botanicals. But they also notably through Pure Hemp Pulp and Paper did a run of paper that was a three mile run. The first time that hemp was, was, was run commercially since prohibition. And, you know, to be part of and a member in that parent company is, you know, both an honor and just so cool. It's like, Wow. So in the materials division for the USM brokerage, 
the company that I'm actually invested in did the first commercially milled hemp paper run since prohibition. Now that to me is just like, oh man, like that is the best thing ever. To be part of that is so cool for me, you know, cooler than almost anything. And, and I'm so sorry here too. And so, so are you kidding me? Those guys, they're, they're my heroes. And it's, of course, that know, is how, in fact, we met, right? It is, yeah, for sure. And just as we, I always qualify the first, right? So that my listeners always know. And are we talking about the first 100% in the United States when you talk about that paper run? No, in fact, that particular paper run is very, very cool. And here's why. Now, it's counterintuitive, especially to those of us like you and me, Joy, who have been in sustainability and natural product and the natural marketplace forever, it seems. That particular paper run was 25% hemp, 75% virgin pulp. So why do you think we did that? Like, why was that? Because we wanted to demonstrate that we can displace virgin wood. And the way that you go commercial with anything hemp really is you begin to blend it into what's in the market. And then you get up, you know, you get up to a percentage where it's either, you know, you can go all the way with it or you have to maintain, you know, a formula that has some other ingredients still in it. But the objective with that particular paper run was to prove that we could displace raw or virgin wood. And that's what that is. And the paper is incredible a lot of people would say, well, why would you do that? Why didn't we just run it and use recycled paper, you know, recycled tree paper and then 25% hemp? And it's like, well, no, we don't want to do that. What we want to do is we don't want to have to feed the recycling markets either. We want to completely displace the virgin wood because we can. And it's the mo- most responsible thing to do. And, and quite frankly, Joy, when you, when you convert a natural, like here's what we do as a society in so many ways. And, and it's interesting to, to have this, this talk today on Earth Day 2021. It's that of course. we convert, yeah, you know, what we do is we convert natural resources to capital. And that's what our society does. And it gets us into so much trouble. And every time that we do that and we only focus on that economical or that economic bottom line, then we're forgetting about the social impact and the environmental impact. So the the triple bottom line is where you orient when you're doing business as a sustainable enterprise. So it's so important to when you convert natural resources to not leave all the value on the table, right? There's so much more to converting natural resources than to just convert it to money. Really, you leave all the value, it seems. It's this lowest value thing that we convert natural resources to is money. Absolutely. I actually should have said and drop the mic on that, guys. I mean, amen, uh, in, in every, you know, in every direction there. And I also want to seize on something that you said just prior to that. And that is you want to blend. Hemp is a great blender. And that just as you said, we want to blend hemp, incorporate hemp into existing industries and, and see how also is the performance improving. We talk a lot on this show and, and even at the very last one where um, I mentioned, and you know, as you know, I'm always not only just interviewing people, but usually moderating panels at conferences and webinars, et cetera, et cetera. 
And I'll often say, well, why hemp? Why did you choose hemp for your, for your product? And everyone gives me the environmental reasons why they did it, which of course light me up and are the reasons that got me into hemp to begin with was the planetary healing aspect of, of reusing this crop to deliver on all of its promise and, and for all of the industries that, uh, that it serves. You know, having said that, hemp improves the performance of many of most of everything that it is incorporated into. And whether that is paper, textiles, cosmetics, food, dietary supplements, you know, uh, biocomposites, energy, fuel, nanotechnology, so on and so forth. Um, so uh, when we, we what we talk about then is blending it in seeing what the social and environmental impact of that is and what is the impact of the change in performance of the material, which we almost always come up with is an improvement, and then get to that right ratio of that blending, as you say, sort of this monitoring and modifying until you hit that maximum sweet spot for the performance. So that what is what is the product that you're buying? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it kind of, it makes me uh, think back to the very first brand that I ever did in the hemp space. And the brand was called Little Hempies. And Little Hempies was a onesie. And the reason that I did that was I was challenged. I had had six weeks. I was part of this, um, maybe a think tank, like a, a thought leader group on sustainability. And, and we would go around to each of the members and we would challenge each other. And my challenge was to come up with a product that I could go from concept to transaction within six weeks. And it had to incorporate at least 50% of the, of the product had to be hemp. And it had to make a social, environmental, and economic impact. So what we did very quickly is we thought of a, something we could do, you know, pretty kind of out of the box. So like we could get patterns for onesies easily. So we employed a seamstress who had not yet, in fact, I did this with Margarita Waters, who used to own Hemplements, if you, if you remember Margarita. Oh, she had yes. the implements truck. Oh, yes. uh, Margarita's amazing, right? So I, I, I actually I found Margarita and I explained the idea to her and then we did it. You'll love this too um, because we've actually spent time with this other person and there's some crossover. But so we made this amazing little hemp brand, Little Hempies. Now I happen to have a daughter at the time who was our little model. So we made footsies, we made a little gown that went over it and we had a cap. And then, and I told the group, I said, here's what's going to happen. As soon as we put this online to sell it, here's who's going to buy it. It's going to be an influential in the market. It's going to be a thought leader and they're kind of expensive. So, you know, it's got to be somebody who's like really deeply, deeply immersed in the industry. And lo and behold, the first little hempy before I ever knew Eric was purchased by Eric Steenstra for his little granddaughter. And the coolest thing, and I've got the pictures yeah. And I didn't know Eric. I had no idea. And now, as, as you know, because we've spent time with Eric together, I love Eric and he's such a great guy and he's such a, you know, such a committed advocate for, in this industry. He's one of my personal heroes and I know he is one of yours as well. And, you know, oh, so, hugely. but <laughs> absolutely. But, you know, to do that brand, what we literally were doing was we had to think it all the way through. We had, so we, we did a blend so we, we incorporated hemp into our lives is what we did. And we did it by having hemp onesies that were 50% hemp, 45% organic cotton, and 5% spandex. 
because you have to have the spandex in it, you know, but the point is, yes. yes, hemp is the answer, but hemp isn't the only answer. And some of my best clothes, some of the, the things I like to wear the most are a blend of hemp and silk, for instance, right? You know, I have a pair of boxers yes. that are hemp silk blocks, boxers, and they're the best ever. Like, I love those things. And, you know, it's hemp doesn't, it, everything doesn't have to be hemp, but to incorporate it and blend it in is the right direction to go. And it honors all of the ingredients, whether it be in cannabinoids or in materials, you know, because let's face it, organic cotton that uses 25% of the entire country's pesticides every year is not the answer. It's not. We can't keep growing, right? And I hear different statistics on that percentage all the time. But the bottom line is the cotton crop takes the largest lion's share of the percentage of use of pesticides every year to produce what? A short, inferior fiber. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Now, does that mean there's not a place for organic cotton? No, there's a place for it. I don't know that there's a big place for it once you blend, you know, once you replace it or displace it with hemp. Because quite frankly, hemp is just a better fiber than cotton. You can grow more hemp far more sustainably with a far greater value. And I also do mean value financially. You can earn more money with hemp than cotton. And that's the reality of it. So why are we doing it this way? Kind of begs the question, right? Absolutely. You've, you've hit it on the point. And, and of course, the performance is just entirely different. The, in, the cellulosic makeup of the, of the plants are so different and the, their ability to last, you know, the durability, the, the uh, wearing out and not in, uh, I'm sorry, wearing in and not out of hemp versus your, your cotton t-shirt and so on and so forth. But, but bottom line is absolutely. I know back in the nineties, you know, when I, I first was exposed to the movement and things that hemp can do in the spring of 1990. And, you know, we have, the more I learned, we were sitting there envisioning, you know, this hundred percent hemp world, which of course is, is unhealthy um, and, and not necessary. It's about blending. It's the great synthesizer. Cannabis in all of its forms will get people and things working together. And, and I think that's a great segue if we could talk a little bit, another um, way that you contribute of the many ways that you contribute to the developing industries and the various advocates and organizations uh, forming to advance the industries is, of course, with the U.S. Hemp Building Association. That is an organization that is near and dear to both of our hearts. I know we both uh, consult and do everything that we can essentially to um, assist uh, the needs that are brought to us by the U.S. Hemp Building Association. And you come from really the green building finance world. You were uh, the owner of uh, My Energy Loan, which became Energy Star Mortgage. Can you talk to us a little bit about about that and and green building? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, when I graduated college from South Florida, University of South Florida, which we used to call University of Sun and Fun, I actually went straight from college up to Manhattan and I went into the media business and I spent a good number of years doing um, you know, really technical advertising work um, and, and then realized I didn't really want to be in the technical end of things anymore. Uh, I went to work for a company that had um, 
my, where my clients were magazine publishers and our company was the number one company in the space. So all of the publishers on the East coast were my, were my magazines and my, my clients. Some of them include shelter magazines and some of them also include magazines like national geographic and others. So some of my closer friends in media were members of the National Geographic executive staff and the Smithsonian and World Wildlife Fund and a whole bunch of others. So I got introduced to green building like it seemed like years and years and years before people were doing green building. When I was getting introduced to green building, I was hearing about straw bale housing and things like that. And and it was just it caught my attention because it's innovative and it's out of the box and, and all of that. So then I was in Manhattan for many years doing media work and then I wanted to get out of it. So I decided I wanted to go into green building. So there's a group in Atlanta called the South Face Energy Institute. And I decided to move down to Atlanta and to go to to get my green builder training at the South Face Energy Institute. And as I was sitting there in my first day of training, like I literally lived in Manhattan and worked on Madison Avenue. I had never built a home. I'd never built anything really other than business and ad campaigns and things like that. But, but I go down and, and I really have a hankering, right? I want to go nail some nails and things like that. And, you know, who knows what that's all about, but I really want to build. So I'm sitting in the room with, you know, yeah, you can imagine, you know, some older kind of, you know, codger types down, you know, Southern contractors and, and hear these, you know, this energy Institute, these people are trying to teach us how to do a different kind of building and, you know, they did a great job with it. But what I kept hearing was that there were no loan programs that supported the green builders. So the builders are going, well, if we're going to build green, but we can't get the product, the, the, the homes financed, then why are we building green? You know, we have to build in a way where the money can flow. And I'm sitting there out of totally out of the box for, for what their, their world is. And I look at it and I go, well, well, man, you know, Energy efficiency is measured using a 100-point scale, and money uses a 100-point scale. So one one-hundredth of a percent is called a basis point. And during a loan, you can qualify energy efficiency and match it up to basis points. So if you increase the energy efficiency of your property by, say, 50%, then the lender could provide a credit of 50 basis points, which is one half of a percentage point. You know, in real estate, you're always talking about points. Points are 1%, right? A point is 1% of whatever the value is. So it became this this program where they didn't have any loan products that would warrant, you know, effective lending. And just being from being outside of the industry and coming in with fresh eyes, I kind of saw immediately that I could do this energy efficiency credit that the lenders could provide to the borrowers. So there's an incentive for the borrower. And because we could use any loan product at all, it'll always work. As long as somebody is qualified for a loan and if they're building an energy efficient property, this program always works. And so you have great repeatability. So at the time, if you, so let's say you, um, you know, we all know the mortgage market crisis and what happened there. There were all of these different toxic mortgages and option arm loans and all of these things, right? All these really exotic, toxic loan programs. This program was the opposite of that. 
this program was absolutely dialed into the kind of building and a higher performance building. And it turns out because it was early adopter marketing, the people who were buying green buildings were always better qualified and the loan amounts were far larger as well. So, you know, our average loan amount for a green building back then was about $800,000. An average loan amount for a, you know, the standard market is about $300,000. So when you put all of these together and you have a higher performing asset with a higher performing borrower and a loan that isn't toxic, but actually rewards energy efficiency, it becomes very, very stable. And that caught the attention of the DOE and the EPA who have a joint venture called Energy Star. And we all see Energy Star, Energy Star inside and, you know, things like that. They loved it. They loved the program. And so they private labeled the, or really white labeled the program uh, from us. And it was, it was pretty exciting. So all told, I think we had about 1500 lenders or wholesale lenders and loan officers. And we had hundreds and hundreds of, uh, you know, green building developers, large scale communities like Serenby, you know, in Atlanta, which is this amazing development. So we were able to get and, and support the whole marketplace because we could provide marketing packages for loan officers that supported the green realtor. And the green realtors are all educated as green realtors through a group called Eco Broker International. So everybody's trained up on green building. And the, the My Energy Loan Program, it just was the overlay that brought them all together because, quite frankly, all of it is about how do we finance the program. So for My Energy Loan to be able to do that, it's, it was just an, an amazing experience, really. Unfortunately, the mortgage market crisis did put us out of business, but we held on for two years. So that was nice. Well, and I think empowered and educated the DOE and the EPA, and there were so many important yeah. uh, advancements that were made through that contribution. Um, and I think also just underscoring, uh, that's one of many examples that I could give as to why, why and how you are so valuable to the emerging hemp industries and all of the ancillary needs. That's so nice of you. Well, it's so true. All of the ancillary needs and, and services and the seeing around corners uh, as we try to make this world our oyster and our, our meaning the, the hemp industry and the, the hemp community, uh, hemp stakeholders. So, so. Important. So, you know, Troy, I could definitely see. Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, I could definitely see a morphed program like the My Energy Loan program for the hemp space, mm -hmm. for sure. And, you know, I definitely look forward to making some additional contributions within the, uh, the hemp building material, yes. um, you know, space and how, how financing plays into that. For instance, right now, if you're, if you're using hempcrete, well, it's not certified yet. It's not a certified material yet, which means it has to be certified for strength and duration for 25 years. That's, that's, uh, you know, if I'm not mistaken, and maybe you could correct me on that, but I think that that's the certification level that you have to have. Once we get that certification, then we can incorporate hemp and then we can get lenders to provide incentives based on the hemp composition of the property mm -hmm. or the building or the development. And it could even go through, you know, lots of other areas as well. You know, again, we're, we always think in terms of channel marketing. So I know when I'm considering 
if I were to do something like my energy loan for the hemp space, first of all, would it be meaningful? And the answer is absolutely, it definitely is needed. But would it provide long lasting value? And is there repeatability with it? Mm. And the answer to each of those things is yes. So to me, it seems like green light as soon as we get certification, because without certification, financing cannot ensue. You know, I think it... it and that's really kind of where we are, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that, and in terms of that 25 years, I mean, I think that there's all kinds of interesting, uh, and I'm not, I don't come from the financing aspect or the banking industry that you obviously know so well. I'm, I know hempcrete, right? And, uh, and I did the books and was a paralegal for a green builder in Seattle for about 10 years as I began to cut my, my teeth on, on green building as it were. Um, but, uh, so, so that 25 years thing, I do believe there is certainly some wiggle room there here. The ICC certification, uh, I think that the, being given that, uh, that a rating and there, there are multiple from what I understand, obviously, but, but the actual rating that would be looked at from, uh, from banks in order to feel comfortable, um, we have no choice, but to, but to, move forward. And that's one of the main projects, I think, and main goals yeah, of the U.S. Sure. Building Association is, of course, and they're working it with, definitely is. Yes, yeah. and working with ASTM, the American Society uh, for Testing Materials, to to pursue that, that ICC yeah. certification. It really, it just means absolutely for sure. everything. Well, you know, it's so cool. It really is so cool. And, you know, one thing that we did um, in fact, Eric Eric McKee, who was the, the president or was the founder, I should say, not the, now Jacob Waddell is. Yes. Um, but Eric, who who really founded the U.S. Hemp Building Association, mm-hmm. along with our dearly departed friend, who I love so much, yes. Dion Mark Graff, yes. um, who passed last year, very very sadly and tragically. February. Oh man, that 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 hurt to lose Dion. I'm sorry, in February to to lose Dion was very difficult for a lot of us. Um, especially because we were working on so many important programs, but you know, to bring it up now, I think is really important and and uh, and relevant because one of the things that Dion was working on and that the U.S. Hemp Building Association Board of Directors and membership are so focused on is you know the durability, but the fact that it's complete, it won't burn. I mean, like the rating, I think for for. Um, what is it called? Is it the fire rating that it's called? I don't exactly know what that is, but you can hold a torch to hempcrete and they did this. So it's like 45 minutes and it will not burn. And so I think we got hempcrete certified at zero, I think is it's meaning it's not going to burn period. I apologize. I just got so excited. There had had never been a rating ever given that low to any building material before. It simply does not combust. It just, we've we've all done our little tests with our little hempcrete blocks. It simply, the stuff doesn't combust. It's non-combustible for heaven's sake. It can't burn down. (laughs) It's crazy. So one thing that we did is last year, there was a working group through uh, one of the representatives here in the state of Colorado who began looking at how, how do we address the wildfires? How do we address the damage that gets done to the state buildings and to the federal buildings on our forest property? Mm -hmm. So I I happened to be on that call on that working groups call. um, And it dawned on me, of course, obviously and immediately that 
why aren't they talking about hempcrete right now? And I didn't just like bust into the meeting and say anything. I waited until after the meeting. And then the host of that meeting, he and I had some really meaningful conversations about it. And then we called Eric and we had another call and thus began the conversation in the state of Colorado with when we rebuild buildings that have been burned down by forest fires, we should rebuild them using hempcrete so it doesn't happen again. And we should bolster those buildings with hempcrete. And so it's, it's fun and it's interesting, right? Now, I didn't get into the business of hemp in order to have that conversation necessarily, but that I got into hemp and got my arms around it and embraced all that it can do. It was easy to see the connection that should be made, right? And anybody who is really focused on building the hemp market would immediately make these connections too. So it's pretty fascinating the way that the hemp markets work. Everything is threaded together. I mean, hemp is like, hemp is the, the plant that demonstrates interconnectedness in a way that other plants don't and other materials don't. You know, think about that, right? We're all connected. It inspires synthesis and bringing people together and it inspires cooperation, Ab- you know, absolutely. And I'll, I'll just say too, really another does. business opportunity, of course, would be uh, fire insurance for dwellings. And then of course, just, but, but for the hempcrete buildings, I would like to get into that business. I certainly don't want to be an insurance company, with a, <laughs> exactly. the fire insurance company that's dealing with all of the combustible materials or the fire insurance company that's dealing with the hempcrete, you know, just so fast. Well, you know, I never thought about that part of it. <laughs> I never thought about the insurance part. Oh, of it. yeah. Big, big yeah. stuff. Big, they, you know, the, the whole economy, the way the things are changing in these fires, they, they mess with the entire economy and displace, you know, human beings. So we're talking just for the security of shelter yeah. and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, as we come to, and it always goes so quickly, Jeffrey, as we come to the end of our time here, is there maybe a question that I haven't asked you or, or a message that you want to make sure that you leave our listeners with? Well, yes, thank you. I think that, you know, when you go to our website at ushempbrokerage.com and you do a little bit of research on our company, the one thing that you'll definitely see very, very clearly, because it's literally the only thing that's on every single page other than like the terms and conditions and stuff like that down at the very bottom, it's incorporate hemp into your life. That's the message. It's incorporate hemp into your life, not only because it's right, but because you can so easily. And if you want to do business in hemp, the world literally is your oyster. You can get involved in hemp in all kinds of ways. You could have a hemp business that's a little cottage business and you can have a business like mine that's organized to be the leading professional you know, services firm of its kind. There's so many opportunities. So you know, the starting point and the ending point is really incorporate hemp into your lives. And that's kind of where we come from. So it's that would be it. Amen to that, brother. Buy hemp, wear hemp, eat hemp, build with hemp, choose hemp. The opportunities are there. Um, and that's how and, and and it's driving those dollars and creating that economic demand. Thank that's such a powerful way to uh to even end this show, brother. That is the major thing, guys. Choose hemp. Put your dollars in hemp, try hemp, experience with hemp, work with hemp. Uh, It can be a part of our lives in every 
aspect of it. Uh, we'll also have additional information on Jeff and our website for Hemp Barons, which is hosted at PodConnects. That's P-O-D-C-O-N-X.com, PodConnects.com. That is where Hemp Barons lives. And of course, on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Jeffrey, I can't wait to have you back. Thank you for everything that you do, brother. And thank you for being with us on the show today. Oh, likewise. So my pleasure, Joy. Thank you so much. Love you, sister. Love you back. Okay. Bye now. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey friends, I'm Brandon and I'm Saba and we are your host of the Cannabis Hangout podcast, an educational platform to connect with the cannabis community and share personal stories while breaking the stigma of marijuana. Join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. to gain valuable insight with different perspectives from industry leaders, growers, and medical marijuana patients. This is a place to learn so much from different angles in the cannabis industry. So tune in while we break it all down.